Welcome back to America's leading higher education podcast, The EdUp Experience, where we make education your business. Hosts Dr. Joe Salustio, Elizabeth Liba, and producer Elvin Freites bring you the brightest and most influential minds in higher education today. We explore innovations, ideas, and issues in higher education and beyond, and hopefully have a little fun along the way. Now let's get to it. Welcome back, everybody. This is the EdUp Experience, where we make education your business. And welcome to a very special episode of EdUp Embedded, where I have the honor and privilege of speaking to Dr. Eric James Stevens. This is Elizabeth Weiler, and I welcome Dr. Eric James Stevens. Eric, how are you? Um, I am tired, but fantastic and excited to be here. Oh, I'm tired too. I just had caffeine. I'm like a little bit tired, but a little bit wired. So we'll see how that combination works. Hopefully it works well. Yeah, that nice edge, right? Yeah, yeah. Just a slight, just a little pick me up there just to be ready for our conversation. So I want to jump right into it and be mindful of your time and talk about what you have going on. Before we talk about what you have going on and and get a little bit more for our listeners in terms of your background and some of the initiatives that you've been excited to hear about what you've been coming up with. How are you? You know, we're in COVID times and, and a lot of people are, you know, just trying to navigate this, what we're calling the new normal. How are you? How's your family? How are you um, doing under all this? Where are you located right now? Um, yeah, that's actually, no, I, I really love that question because for me, um, I can't really separate that question of how I'm doing right now from this initiative, this thing that I'm starting, because in a real way, um, this this all happened because of COVID. We were, like you asked the question where we were uh, or where we are um, in May, we were in um, Ellensburg, Washington. My wife and I, we were both had a teaching job there. Um, since then, we've been laid off and all of our stuff is in Washington still. Um, but we packed up what we could fit into two cars and drove to my parents' house in Maryland. Um, or, yeah, so that's where we are right now is just trying to figure out what to do while we're living in my parents' basement. Um, and then we're kind of trying to be um, extra cautious and extra aware with COVID and everything that's going on because we also have, you know, we have a six-year-old and a three-year-old and we also have a, a two-month-old. Um, and so we're, we're trying to be just careful while navigating this fact that we just don't have any income at the moment. Oh, wow. Sorry to hear that. And um, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that, but I'm happy that you're safe and that you were able to find um, some comfort with family because that's definitely at least something that we can, in this time, I think we're all appreciating that more, that we can draw closer to family and, and support each other through some tough times that are a little bit difficult to navigate. So tell me a little bit more about, you talked about um, you're losing your job and, and coming home and, and trying to navigate this um, situation with your family. Tell me a little bit about your um, your background in higher education, what you've done, um, what that evolution has looked like, and um, 
talk a little bit about how that's informed the initiative? You kind of alluded to that a little bit as you talked about navigating COVID. You're, you have this exciting project that you're working on for those that are navigating in higher education post-COVID times. Tell us about your background in education, and I love to hear origin stories because I'm a super um, comic book fan. <laughs> And I grew up awesome. with brothers, so I'm into Marvel and DC, and we won't debate uh-huh. that element of the right, right. conversation. But I love hearing people's origin stories. Tell me a little bit about your um, evolution in education and how it led you to start this initiative, which I'm excited to hear about the higher, higher education, the higher, higher ed initiative that you came out with. Yeah, I, so if we're going to like talk an origin story, like we'll go, um, I just, Ever since I was a kid, um, I remember when I was first invited to go be like the sixth grade group leader for the elementary school um, play, like outdoor play yard, whatever um, play day that was. Um, and I remember the, the first time um, just like sheeping, like, like hurting these, like, these kids into these games. Somebody said, you know, you should be a teacher. And I was like, huh, I think that would be really cool. And then just, you know. Ever since then, like, I mean, I feel like all of us have a background in education. Like, we all have, like, some roots in learning. Um, and I just kind of never left that, that realm. Like, um, after high school, um, I did some service work um, for a church. Um, and then after that, I, I just I started school. And I've just been, I've been in school since then. I started out, my bachelor's degree um, is in English. And I just loved learning more about the world around me. Um, from there, I went into, um, for my master's degree, I got um, at Utah State University. And we, my, my wife and I were both enrolled um, at the same time. She was in a, a different master's program, but we had some overlap. Um, and I looked at her coursework, and I looked at my coursework. Mine had a whole bunch of Shakespeare that I had read a whole bunch already. I didn't want to do that again. And her coursework had a book called Capitalism and Schizophrenia. Um, and they had Michel Foucault's Discipline and Punish, a book called Cyber Marxism. Um, and they just really captured me because what I love about literature was the ability to understand it using theory. And then I discovered in rhetoric that all that rhetoric is, is applying theory to everything that's around us. Um, and so that's where I went into for my grad school um, at math and my master's was really focusing in it. Um, into rhetoric. And then I got a PhD at Clemson University um, from, or in rhetoric as well. And I kind of feel like I, I got that degree because I was really, really good at doing rhetoric rather than like I was really smart in knowing what rhetoric was. Um, I've, I mean, I finished like the average time for a PhD program in the United States is 8.2 years. And I finished mine in, in 2.7 years from start to finish just because I knew what I wanted to do. I knew how to talk about it and how to talk about it in a way that made other people interested enough that I got thousands of dollars in funding and awards and all that kind of stuff. In the middle of that project, though, which I could talk about forever, it was, I built a, a corpus of 350 inmate handbooks, and I um, worked with a data scientist to understand what were the patterns of the language in our correctional facilities. And it's really, really fun, but in that, in that moment, I realized that I had picked that project arbitrarily. Um, I had watched an episode of John Oliver 
and it was amazing and I loved it. And I said, this is what I want to do for my dissertation. I want to work on something with big data, with technical writing in prisons. It was a decision that I made. Um, and as I studied and studied and studied it in my doctorate degree, um, I more and more came to identify myself as, a, as an ethics scholar. Um, Utah State has a very, very strong social justice bend to it. And that really informed my thinking and it really informed the direction that I took. And then when I expanded social justice to include all of ethics, because social justice is a very small part of ethics, um, I came to realize with that whole identity part as well that I actually, as a scholar, really had no right to go into this prison despite any IRB or anything like that that I tried to gain, like say, make sure that this is going to be, like these people are not going to be exploited. I was exploiting them for my own personal gain. I would get tenure, you know, before COVID. Um, I would have a salary. Um, and then I came to realize that my role into who I am as one who embodies nearly every privilege that exists, it is my role to not talk about that stuff. My role is to build a platform for other people who are invested in it in a real way to do better work than I would ever be able to do. And so my dissertation kind of hit this, this stall where what, I, where what I created was not any answers. I created a really cool tool that people can use to investigate things. Like there, for as an example, I'm using these big data algorithms and everything. We found that there's a strong correlation between the word punishment and the word woman in these handbooks. I don't know why, but this big data algorithm is telling me that relationship exists. I can hand that over to maybe someone, maybe to a, um, a woman who is in the correctional facilities who is now doing her own dissertation work and she needs to figure out what she can do. I will build a tool to help her answer cool stuff. And that has led me to, to what this is now, that um, I recognize that my plight of being laid off, I was not the only one. Um, and for me to, to only act as if I was the only one for me is an ethical impossibility, like in a very real way that is something that I just can't do. And so I built an event. And what this has turned into are people who initially just came to like, hey, let's everybody get together on LinkedIn and flood the algorithm with our data because that's what we should do. Like hiring managers need data. And then somebody said, you sound like you're selling LinkedIn. I said, that's not a bad point. I kind of do. Um, what we need is community. Um, I, I tried to find that community when I got laid off and it just wasn't there in the way that I needed it to be. And so I'm trying to build that so that people can find that solidarity and not just sign a letter of solidarity, but actually do something with it. Like actually connect with someone and say, do you need help with anything? Like, how can I help you? Um, I, I believe that is my role into who, and like in those small private conversations, I can talk about all sorts of corrective language and everything. And I will do that. And I do do that, but it is no longer my space. We don't need another white academic guy just, or white male academic out there just spouting off opinions, even if they're well-researched, well-intentioned, we don't need that. What we need 
is to take a step back and use everything that we can to build a platform to let other people do cool work. Um, and that's, that's, that's a long-winded answer, I think, to your question. But I think that for me, um, who I am and what I want to build for other people is just something that I am, I, I just, I can't not do it. I was talking with my wife the other day and she's like, we, we were talking about, cause we love Hamilton, you know, who doesn't. Um, and it was, and she, and she said like, I, I feel like, I feel like I can relate to Hamilton to that line. Um, riding like he's running out of time. Like, I don't know what I'm racing against, but I know that I'm racing and that I need to do it. That's really prophetic that you're saying this because I think it fits with everything that's going on in these times. We have COVID that's creating a great deal of uncertainty. We have a lot of conversation around the idea of social justice and people are starting to wake up to the idea of not centering themselves, but also thinking about the community around them or what they can do to help others that are perhaps going through the same things that they are going through, but instead of focusing internally on how they need to help themselves, understanding that if you help others, you are, in fact, helping yourself. And, and that in itself can really be life-changing. And then by changing other people's lives, you also tend to change your own life as well. So I'm really fascinated to hear how you came up with the idea of you, you, you and your wife were um, laid off from your jobs and you were going through this transition. What exactly sparked the idea? You talked about um, connecting with other people on LinkedIn. What sparked the idea of actually creating like a, a, an event or some kind of community to help others? Um, and what exactly does that involve? I know you're having an event and, and is there like ongoing uh, who, uh, in terms of the, the support systems, is there ongoing um, ability for people to be able to access support systems in terms of the event or who's going to be participating in the event? Tell us a little bit more about how this community of support is going to work for people in higher education that are going through a lot of turmoil, you know, in schools. A lot of schools are closing down. A lot of schools are, are laying off professors and other staff because of COVID. And, and it, it's a, very, a lot of uncertainty because higher education, as we all know, we, you, we've had to um, adjust the way that we operate. A lot of schools are um, operating primarily primarily online, at least for the, the, the near future going into the fall. And we're not sure what's going to happen next term. So we definitely do have a lot of um, higher ed professionals that are going to see some uncertainty. What does your um, inside higher ed, or I'm sorry, higher higher ed initiative? How do you how are you supporting those that are going through these issues? Um, I I found out that I was going to be laid off um, in March April ish. Um, I was kind of reading the card like reading the cards. Um, I knew something was going to be happening with me for other reasons. Um, and so that's when I just started applying to jobs like crazy. Um, I think I applied to over 200. I can't remember. Oh, wow. Um, I, I got one interview that I did not land, um, which was, it was hard. Like it was, it was probably the longest time of my life of waking up 
and just applying to jobs. And then all of a sudden with COVID emerging, watching those jobs just disappear. Um, and I was getting really, really frustrated that I wasn't getting a job because honestly, I think I'm an amazing hire <laughs> in the most, like, I think that I would be, I would excel in pretty much any job that you give me where I'm talking to people. Like, I think I would do really, really well. Um, but I was, you know, I'm hot right now. Um, but it's on me. Like I was not translating my value the way that I needed to. I knew what were, what that were, I had What value. were you doing previously? Were you, were you in the classroom? Were you working in an administrative role at your college previously? What, what exactly was your, 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 your job um, before? Yeah, so when, um, when I was at the previous university, I was, um, it was kind of a combination of a couple of things. Uh, my primary responsibility was I was the um, coordinator of um, research and innovation for academic success uh, oh, wow. for the um, Academic Success Center. It was a really cool role that was very innovative in um, the creation of it. And we had some great support from our immediate supervisors. Um, I also did, um, I was a writing professor. Uh, my wife and I, we both teach writing. Hmm. Um, so I would, like, I would be running the academic coaching program, our developmental writing program. Um, so a lot of the students that traditionally struggle um, in school, not by any virtue of who they are, but because of the systematic problems that we have, um, that's where I was. I was helping, I was helping those folk and it was just the most rewarding experience. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And, and so, and I just, I, I had, I have this, this passion to help people and I know how to do it well. And I, I love teaching and my students, um, I, I think they love me too. Um, and then I just, it wasn't happening. And so on May 19th, actually, I stopped applying to jobs. And I said, I need to rethink about this. And I was really frustrated that past attempts to connect with people just had not worked at all, like in the slightest, um, you know, despite everybody seeing everything that was happening. Um, the fact that I was losing my job, it was just understandably, just another thing that was happening in their life. Um, it's arrogant for me to expect them to center me in their life. But what I needed to do, I just, so um, I, I wrote an article um, that talked about how it is actually during a pandemic, if you are employed, it is your ethical obligation to connect with people on LinkedIn, specifically mm -hmm. LinkedIn. Because mm -hmm. that is the social network that collects the data in a way that hiring managers can use to help people find jobs. So mm -hmm. if you are employed, the easiest, most ethical thing that you can do to help strengthen your network is to get onto LinkedIn like once a week and connect to people. And so that's how this all started was like, let's just get together and connect. Let's get together and connect. And then I thought, hey, I'm holding, or, um, and then, um, with the murder of um, George Floyd and Black Lives Matter, because our, our, our original um, event was set for June 8th. And was, like I said, okay, like I can't, I'm not gonna try to, to compete with that. I'm gonna internalize some of these things that are happening and how can I make my next event better? And so it's turned into a two event, two day event where I've had time to promote this and to advertise this. And then I got the idea to, 
you know, a savvy career coach is going to see what I'm doing and they're just going to attach themselves to my brand and they're going to um, sell their own webinar. Um, so I got out in front of that and I just invited people. I said, do you want to have access to a great network of people who need coaching? Come, like, I can't, I can't do it. Like, I can't do any good logistics, but come and like, let's have an event together. So it turned into this organic thing where I was organizing an event and I, because I was incapable of putting on any of those logistics, I had that support in the coaches that they were offering um, or with the supports that they were offering themselves. And then I got enough pull um, that people that I got to do really cool. I get to do panels. Like it's like, I'm, I'm organizing the conference that I wish I had. Uh, we have a panel um, that you are so graciously going to be on as well. That's um, that I'm still kind of playing with a title with, but it's about race and racism in higher ed versus industry and kind of like a compare and contrast. We have one on like, what is cybersecurity and what can humanities and educators do to enter that field? The same thing with nonprofits. Um, we have um, a panel of expert career coaches um, that um, are saying that will say, hey, this is how you need to translate your value. We're gonna have a panel of HR representatives that say, hey, this is the language that we speak. So make sure you speak our language because we don't have the time to understand your language. And it is, it, it is on you to translate for us at this point. There's a little bit of give and take there, but the point of it is like, I, it's people need a human connection. Like more than anything, that's what I want this event to be is, is to let people know that they're not alone. Um, I hope that people find jobs, I really do. Um, I hope I find a job. Um, I hope I can make this into something more. But more than anything, what we need is a place to publicly mourn at the destruction of the education system we love. Because it's happening. It is falling apart. Right now, like you, even earlier in the conversation, you said, like, we don't know what's going to happen in the fall. We do. We just don't want to admit it. But it's going to happen. Schools are going to close. People are going to get laid off. And it's so incredibly sad. Unless we can do something together to, to, re, to add value back to education. Because right now, people look at a four-year degree and a $50,000 student debt ticket, and they say, not worth it. <laughs> no, thank you. Right? One, so as, as of yeah, this recording, one, oh, go ahead. I'm mm -hmm. sorry. Yeah, I don't no, want no, you to lose your ahead. train of thought. Because I'm like, no, my please. mind is racing because everything you said is so valuable and, and, and you're bringing so much of, uh, I love the passion and the, the fact that you really want to help people because that's really what it's about. And this event, as of this recording, this event is going to be taking place. It's a two-day, um, value-packed, um, information-packed um, panel event uh, with a lot of resources and, and, and those that have offered to offer their insights and, and give career development and coaching and, and, and tons of uh, insight into the field of higher education, things that we need to do better over this two-day period, virtually, obviously, because we're all sheltering yeah. in place. But based on everything that you're saying, what do you think uh, as far as higher education, because you really touched on something that is a passion of ours on um, the EdUp experience, what do you think that we need to do better. You, you, you have a lot of experience in the field and, and you, you're working with um, previously to everything that happened with uh, your situation at your school and, and having to 
navigate this transition. You've worked with students and you're in the classroom. What can we do better for students in higher education? What are some of the things that you've noticed that need to improve in order for students? The big thing now, the turn on investment, and we have a lot of vulnerable students that don't even finish. And we have students that are looking at the debt and wondering, is it worth it? And we, as a uh, as a as institutions of higher education and as a sector, haven't been as responsive. And, and now COVID is forcing us, right, to take a really hard look in the mirror. So, based on your experience and your observations, what can we do to improve higher education and make it a better um, reward for students that are seeking to pursue an education? Hey everyone, this is Joe just reminding you to check out our website at www.edupexperience.com where you can find and explore all of the content that we released under the EdUp Experience brand, including multiple podcast series, EdUp Elites, EdUp Embedded, and EdUp Experts. You can also suggest topics or guests for our podcast. Then head over to YouTube, check out our channel, The EdUp Experience, and you're going to find that my amazing co-host, Elizabeth Liba has started a new web series called EdUp Unplugged, where she talks about racism in America with special guests coming on that web series. We've got a lot going on at the EdUp Experience. Again, check out our website at www.edupexperience.com. Now let's get back to our guest. I think um, I would have two answers to that, like kind of big picture. The first one is that we need teachers at the table. We need educators at the table. We do not need someone who has taught a class before, um, who is now in a high paying administrative role, making these decisions. We need people who are in the classroom every day teaching people because they know what students need. The second thing that needs to happen is that higher education must admit that it is nothing more than another industry. Mm. That is it. Higher education has no intrinsic value that it once had because it's been monetized so much. And if you're looking for how has it been monetized, look at the trillions of dollars of student debt. Um, We need to take a hard look at our budget and, and what those, what that money, um, sorry, we need to take a hard look at those budgets, where that money is going. We need to make that transparent and we need to ensure that it goes towards student success. I am, I am floored by how often we talk about caring about students. But when I'm facing a situation where I'm offering a program to my students that will help them and that will help the university at large, I can, I can do that. Um, or here, just, just one second. Um, um, could you remind me where I, where I was there? You, 
you were talking about as far as how we can improve the ROI, okay. like how, what we can do. So you, you, you're talking about the, uh, the student success aspect of it, making sure that teachers are at the okay. table because we okay. know what students yeah, need yeah. and then the students. Right. Okay. Yeah. 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 Yeah, thank you. I got distracted. And yeah, yeah, no, 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 um, you're fine. You're fine. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But the, what we need to do is understand that higher education is itself an industry. It is nothing more yeah. than just another industry, and that's going to be hard for people to admit because sure. lots of academics and they they feel like they're fighting against the man. That's like <laughs> a point of pride. Yeah, but they don't realize that they're the man like mm -hmm. they're the ones that need to be dismantled and reorganized so that money that is transparent goes towards students not mm -hmm. for a nine hundred thousand dollar salary for the president of a university yeah wow i have like goosebumps <laughs> because everything that you're saying it makes perfect sense and and i think you're right, there's a reckoning that's taking place now where in, in higher education, the, the, our institutions, we're, we're really having to reimagine and, and really take a long, hard look at all these, the, 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 the student loan debt crisis is like something that we had been kind of on the back burner. And now with COVID, people, mm -hmm. uh, the, the, the kids are home. You know, my daughter's a sophomore in college and she's on her laptop and parents are looking at that and they're like, okay, what are you doing? What am I paying for? Why am I paying? $50,000 a year and, and is this worth it when a lot of, you know, in terms of the economics of it, when students are getting out, obviously we know that over time this is going to pay off, but a, a lot of parents, we don't have time to be thinking about over time. We're thinking about our tuition bill today. So you're right that there yeah. is a lot that needs to be done about that. Yeah. And, and I think one of the coolest things that has happened to me throughout this entire experience was somehow I have managed to create this persona um, in higher ed and people are coming and talking to me about things that they wouldn't normally come and talk to me about. And one of the things that people come and talk to me about are their ideas and some of their tech that they, that they have. Um, and I'm just, I, I can't, like, I am so excited to see and to show some of this technology that is being developed because, I mean, we're going to do another event down the road. Um, and hopefully we'll be able to embed some of this tech into what we're doing itself. Um, but right now, there, like every, every university, every single one is asking themselves three questions. One, what do we do in the fall so that our students don't die? Hmm. Two, how do we justify the cost of our tuition? And three, how do we keep as many people employed as possible? Every university is, is thinking along these lines. Number one, the answer, it's going to be hard, but it's going to be possible. To the second question, you're right, you're charging too much for tuition. Reduce it. You should start by reducing your salaries, decision makers. And three, don't let people go. Like there is technology that I'm, I'm working with some people, like there's some cool stuff that, that will allow universities to keep people employed. 
like to, that will give them an actual thing that they need to do that is more than just sitting in front of a Zoom meeting um, <laughs> or answering emails. Um, and the innovation that is being inspired by COVID um, is simultaneously, like it's, it's heartbreaking that some of this tech is being developed for the reasons it's being developed that before this, there was no reason to, but now we do have a reason for it because mm -hmm. of COVID. Right. So it's so sad that that, and like it is taking thousands of deaths for this to happen. And that is a thing that we need to, to, to dwell on. But then yeah. this could also be the, in the real way, the future of education. Um, and as, I don't know how I landed into this moment and into this role, but I am one who wants the best for as many people as possible in a very, in the most ethical way that I can. And so that I'm, gl I'm glad that I'm in this position because there are people who I know who would be in this position and, and, and they would, um, yeah, it, it would just further embed the worst parts of capitalism. And I don't, I don't want that. And so I'm, I'm, I don't know how I got here, but I'm so glad that I'm here because I feel like I can help bring educators to the table so that we can empower educators to shape the future of education. I That's what I want. That. I love that. Empower educators to shape the future of education because we are the ones in the classroom that really know what's needed. Talk to me about social justice because it's, it's fascinating to me that that's really a big part of what you've studied and your focus in your research. What can, and you've worked with the both most vulnerable students, like you said, and, and I just um, actually just posted about this on LinkedIn about how a lot of students that are going into a college environment that are students, the black students and other students of color, a lot of times they're not prepared because the school districts that they're coming from are not adequately funded, so they don't have the proper resources. Therefore, when they go to college, they're least likely to persist and also least likely to graduate, which is why we need these support systems such as the writing centers and student success centers that are places where vulnerable students can feel safe in order to get the additional assistance that they Sometimes they're embarrassed because they feel like, hey, I'm in college, I should be prepared, but it's not their fault because they're coming from an environment that hasn't properly prepared them. What can we do in higher education? Everything now that we're seeing, the country has come to more of a reckoning and I think still is not really totally invested in the idea that there is a very um, big imbalance in terms of where our Black students are compared to students in the dominant culture that have more support systems and more support mechanisms. So in your experience in working in student success, what do colleges and universities need to do better to assist those, these most vulnerable students and help them to persist and also to graduate? Um, the number one thing that higher ed can do to support these students is to not try to recruit them because they are those kinds of students. Um, if, here, here, here's, here's why I say that. Um, the last institution I was, where I was, 
there's a point of pride that they were becoming um, a, an HSI Hispanic serving institution. Um, and everything from the outside, it looked great. Like, yeah, like this is awesome. I'm so excited that this university is putting forth this effort and you could see some of the initiatives they were doing. And I participated in those initiatives and I learned so much about what I need to do better as a professor. But then it just fell apart because it became, it no longer became uh, PR valuable. Like, ah, it's gonna happen on its own eventually. We'll just kind of like let it go. Like, well, it's fine. And it was ultimately, right, very problematic reasoning that led to these decisions in my opinion. Um, and so if, if we are going to actively recruit these students, we need to support these students. Mm -hmm. um, where I was at the last institution, the, I came into the middle of an um, advocacy fight um, or towards the end of the advocacy fight because all of our developmental writing, developmental math courses had a fee that were attached to it. And the legislation of Washington said, yeah, we're not, like we already paid through K through 12 education. Just because you didn't learn it, we're not going to pay for it again. So you have to pay for this class extra. It doesn't go towards anything. And it was really, really problematic. Um, and so in, a, in the spirit of social justice, quote unquote, um, the university got rid of that fee, right? Like, great, good job, good for them. They also didn't give us the budget that the fee took away. Like we were a self-support <laughs> program. And th that fee is what ran the program. And so their solution was, okay, we know, Eric, that you're an expert in this thing, but we're gonna give this program to another department. Um, and that department did not even try to ask me anything about it because my idea that benefited the students went against their model, which benefited their department budget. That to me is a problem and that should not happen. Um, what we need to do, so that's on the big scale. On the small scale, if you're a teacher, you have to learn how to value the people in your classroom. This is what I did not understand a year ago that now I do understand after taking the time to hear people speak and to hear their stories. I came, I come to education. My origin story was the traditional origin story. Mine, it was not unique. It was designed for me to succeed in that origin story. And when I got my students, it was like, and they said, like, we have, you know, a lot of uh, Latinx students and they come in and they say, um, I can't do this because I have a family obligation. My training has taught me that is a weakness. You should do everything you can. Like you're doing this for your family. So you should sacrifice your family. I still struggle with that. Yeah. What I learned is that that is something that should be valued and cherished and brought into the classroom in a way that is engaging, not in a way that makes them even feel more demoralized, like you were saying before. What we have to do, and this is the core of what higher higher ed is as well, is value people and learn how to communicate about that value in a way that makes us all, in a very real way, stronger. I, I'm like a little bit tearful, <laughs> which has been happening a lot, unfortunately, or maybe I should say fortunately, because I'm in touch with my emotions. I don't know. But I, I'm so glad that you raised that point, because I think that that's one thing that perhaps 
has been lost in a lot of this discourse on education and what we need to do better and how we can improve and some of the different um, in terms of the empathy, I think, has been lost. And I think perhaps through COVID, there may be a silver lining and it gives us a little bit more time and space to be more introspective and, and in terms of supporting the most vulnerable communities, because those are the communities that we've seen are really have been affected very um, significantly yeah. in, in trying to yeah. have uh, maintain their access and, and still continue their educations. And um, like you said, there sometimes is a dominant theme of, or culture, and it's more traditional in higher education, right? That it's here, pull yourself up by the bootstraps and grab it because we mm-hmm. don't have access to mm-hmm. it. So, hey, you know, if it's here, what's the problem? You just need to do what I did and trench through the snow or jump over this wall or whatever the obstacle was and, and whatever is needs to be sacrificed, that's what you do. And I think culturally speaking, sometimes that's not how it works in every culture. So as a teacher, you're the one that has the most influence on students or as a student success coach or as a mentor, you can understand and try to reframe and understand that everything is not from your perspective because that perspective informs how you interact with the student. And sometimes that can affect student success because if you're judging a student based on this frame and that framework doesn't align with the student's background or experience or what they're able to, and you're saying, well, you should be able to. And it's like, but I can't, you know, it, it's really just a push and pull there. And I'm glad that you really are addressing that. Um, I want to be uh, very respectful and cognizant of your time. You've offered so much value and so much insight and I really want to have you back at some point to talk some more about this stuff because this stuff is really um, close to and near and dear to my heart. A lot of the things that you're talking about in terms of student success and accessibility and helping others and in, in your initiative with the higher higher ed to be a voice for those that are looking for answers in these um, unforeseen times. Tell us just, I guess, just any last minute words in terms of your event in terms of how um, people can, uh, you know, anything that we've missed, how people can um, connect with you or, or get um, access to the resources that you have available. And lastly, just what do you see as the future of higher education? For people um, to connect with me and to connect with this initiative is just, is, is just that. Like, think of that word, connect. Um, and it is it is the verb that we need right now. Um, and so, like whether it's on a social media platform, connect with someone. Whether it is through a phone call or through Zoom or coffee at a distance, you have to connect. And if for whatever reason, those people that you're trying to connect with aren't reciprocating um don't blame them they have a lot going on in their lives too but you should know that there are strangers who will empathize with you there are strangers who are experiencing the same thing so connect with people um and do it in a way that will help them um and be the person that is ready to connect um that's going to be like, we're, we're hosting, like I'm, we're going to have lots, lots of different ways. We're getting people who are doing Instagram pods, social media stuff. I have nothing. I don't know anything about that. People are so telling me they're going to help me do. Um, we're going to have like a common Spotify uh, playlist 
like during the event so like everybody can tune in and listen to like to the same music of like (laughs) here we are together leaving academia like just like I, I, I want people to come together and connect um what does the future of education look like um if we don't do anything um the only option we have will be to write academic articles about it and complain about it later. If we do something now, it can be something that the world has never seen before, or maybe something that the world has seen before. Going back to like apprenticeships, working communities, cross-disciplinary, cross-industry, a community, of people who understand that they are forever, always, already connected to other people. And that that is a strength and a value. Um, And we need to stop figuring out how we can monetize education. And, And we need to figure out a way that we can cover our basic needs and, you know, enjoy ourselves but also understand that, that, that what we have cultivated together as educators is knowledge. Um, and as an educator, I believe it is my ethical obligation to share that knowledge. Um, and I hope that others do too. Awesome. Thank you so much. There you have it, everybody. Dr. Eric. James Stevens, I've really enjoyed speaking with you, and I thank you. I know that you're really busy organizing your um, two-day panel event um, as of this recording. It's going to be actually taking place on August 5th and 6th, so if I'm not mistaken, right? So anyone that... um, 6th and 7th, okay. So Mm -hmm. August 6th and 7th, but up until that time and any time after... Uh, I'm sure people can reach out to you and, and get more information, more details about attending the event, um, accessing any resources that you have available in this community of support after the event. And I really appreciate everything that you're doing. You're making a difference, and uh, we appreciate you uh, joining. I appreciate you joining me today to inform everyone about what you're doing. So thank you. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much for having, for having me. And, and after this event, what I want people to look forward to is that there will, there, I'm working on the idea right now. There will be a beautiful community that we can all participate in. Hope you enjoyed that episode. To learn more about the EdUp experience, please visit edupexperience.com and If you want to be in on the live recordings, please sign up for our email list. Go to edupexperience.com and sign up to be a subscriber. We'll let you know how you can listen in live and get the scoop before anyone else does. So please, as always, feel free to share this podcast, rate, review, and subscribe. We would really, really appreciate that. You've been listening to The EdUp Experience, where we make education your business with your hosts, Dr. Joe Salustio, Elizabeth Liva, and Elvin Freitas.